Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Jimmy Narain. I'm actually going to read this one. Jimmy is a best-selling Udemy partner. He has over 500,000 clients from the platform. He is also a corporate trainer in soft business schools. He is a Mind Valley author. He's a keynote speaker, a business consultant, and significantly, he is a digital nomad working remote for the last 10 years. He has visited 78 countries, I think, in last counting. Uh, and he is a basically a successful guy on the road building a really significant business using outsourcing and global talent. So it's an interesting story. He is, I suppose, through experience, an expert in what it means to be working remotely and also using global employment to run and manage his business. So it's a really good conversation, very different perspective from what we usually have, but there's a lot of great value and insights in there. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over three thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over five million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today, visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. So, Jimmy, tell us what you do. So, Derek, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate what you've been doing with this podcast. You have a ton of episodes. You really clearly are putting a ton of effort, bringing awesome people in to, to provide value. So, thank you for that and kudos for that. So, I've been traveling the world full-time for almost a decade. Uh, I've been traveling as an entrepreneur, doing various things, being a Udemy partner, teaching close to, well, getting closer to that half a million mark um, of students, being a Mind Valley author as well. I do a lot of corporate training for, for big companies and smaller ones as well. I've been doing adventure masterminds as well. So I do a lot of different things, but one common denominator is that 
I've been running my business while traveling full time, literally living off my suitcase, not just being nomadic, but going going full time. And you know, a big part of it is running remote teams. So um, it seems like it seems like a p- perfect match here for me and you to talk about how to do it more effectively and efficiently, and and how to become a better remote leader as well. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff, and I think the concept of remote is really coming into light now after COVID, of course, and everyone, it seems, wants to work remote. Um, And it's been happening for a long time, of course. And I, you know, I was a backpacker before even digital nomading was available, you know, before really kind of the internet and laptops were readily available. And then you just really couldn't sustain it because you eventually had to stop the fun and go back to work. But now Mm. you can just kind of carry on forever. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And you are the sort of pointy end of the remote work lifestyle, I suppose. Um, but people can adjust that opportunity to to their own needs, their own life, their own career. Uh, and I think that something that you have specialized in for the last 10 years now is becoming a very relevant skill um, because every company, every corporation is really trying to decide if they're going to run a remote organization um, work from home, hybrid, you know, strictly work from office. And it re- really has an impact on the organization and also the people that are attracted to work in that organization. Yeah? So it's becoming a real 100%. patchwork and difficult for employers who might be boomers or who might be a little bit older to, for them to really navigate this terrain. Hundred mm-hmm. percent, and you know, it's funny we talked before the recording about the fact that you know, even eight, ten years ago, if you try to explain to someone that you are outsourcing right to other mm-hmm. countries, they would kind of scratch their heads. What, like, like what? How is it possible? You are sitting here in this cafeteria on your laptop. You are telling me you have a team. Where is your team? Where is your office? Right. So, it was extremely hard for people to wrap their heads around it. Now, it's become more popular, obviously, because of the oh, the COVID, all the lockdowns. But I personally believe that outsourcing is one of the most powerful business tools anyone can use. And when I say anyone, I don't just mean uh, owners of companies uh, or managers of big companies. I'm talking even employees themselves. And this is going to be a bit controversial, what I'm going to say. But I always feel like um, whenever you choose to do one thing, it automatically means you cannot do anything else. It's a very mm-hmm. simple concept. But if you go to the most amazing buffet in the world, right, with a thousand different dishes, if you have your plate and they tell you you have to finish everything you put on that plate, and then suddenly the waiter comes in and says, hey, you have to try those potatoes and dumps a bunch of potatoes, right? One of your friends comes and you got to try this and dump something on that plate. If you say yes to all of that, there is nothing left on a plate. You don't have any space. You can't pursue the, the real culinary, in this case, opportunity. So I feel like it, it is important to conserve your time and to be very careful what you say yes to, what you say no to. But we all have to do a lot of different things in our businesses and our professional lives that we don't really want to do. And we don't want to do them because, first of all, number one, maybe we are not good at those things and we don't want to get better at those things. But secondly, maybe there is someone who can just do it way more efficiently right um so that's why i feel like anyone can use outsourcing you know i've seen people who work for uh, companies i've seen students who outsource just a little bit maybe two or three or four hours per week for someone to help them with planning their holidays with creating a list of uh, perhaps hotels based on certain metrics right so we're talking 
really micro scale. But I feel like um, if someone is resistant, for instance, people who are a bit more old school, if they are resistant to outsourcing, I would say just take on a challenge and this week get someone to help you with something. Outsource anything to someone, even if it's just a few hours. This way you get your feet wet. And when you do it, and, and you know this very well, obviously, you know, the business you've been running, you, you've been in this world very deeply for, for many, many, many years. Once you start outsourcing, you realize how powerful it is. And you learn so much along the way. And that's when, you know, you start tweaking what you should be outsourcing, what you shouldn't be outsourcing. I really feel like mm-hmm. in order to be productive, you cannot focus on everything, right? Not all of those things on your to-do list are equally important. You have to choose very wisely. And, and it's not unique to outsourcing, is it really? It's really just prioritization and it's delegation. You know, it, it's sort of yeah. using resources around you and to to help you achieve what you want to get done. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to pertain to outsourcing or offshoring or global recruitment, but it just so happens that sort of, I suppose, you know, and I think it was largely started by the Tim Ferriss whole sort of movement around kind of get cheap people to do all the work that you can't be bothered doing sort of thing, but, and, and then building systems and processes out of it. So it's really become quite a movement from that, but it is ultimately really just kind of delegation, isn't it? Which is an age old, yeah. um, aspect of either running your life or, or running a business and what set you on the trail of your adventure and you know where did you grow up and what was it just one holiday that ended up being a 10-year kind of journey so it's it's a really interesting question especially considering derek that you mentioned tim ferris right so tim ferris wrote the bible for those of you who don't know the mm-hmm. the, the Bible is the four-hour work week, right? I mean, a lot of people read it. A lot of people got inspired by it, including myself. So um, when I read that book, I believe 2018, uh, sorry, 2008, 2008, um, I realized that there is a different world out there that I didn't know about. You see, before that, I worked for corporations. So I worked for Allianz. I worked for Goldman Sachs as well. Um but I knew very quickly it just wasn't for me. It was other person's dream. It, it seemed like it was everyone's dream but mine. Now, I grew up in post-communist Poland. I spoke only Polish, didn't have a lot of money. And uh, when you grow up in this type of environment, everyone tells you that in order to be really successful, you have to work for a big corporation. There is no way about it, right? You just have to work for someone. So that was drilled into my head for all of those years. But then again, Goldman Sachs, Allianz, I realized... I would I I couldn't live like this. I I just couldn't live like this. It's I, I couldn't see myself doing this for next next five or ten or fifteen years. When I saw people ahead of me, I just didn't want to live that life. I wanted to live the life of freedom. But at the same time, throughout those adventures, do something that would help people. And then Tim Ferriss's book was one of those triggers that made me realize, okay, you want this, this is actually possible. People are doing this. And there are certain tools that you can use to make it happen. One of those tools was outsourcing. But by the way, you mentioned you know that that when he wrote that book, a lot of people started realizing, oh, you can outsource to cheaper labor. I feel like it's not just about that. I I, I honestly believe after all those years of running a remote team, um, for instance, people in India, people in the Philippines, they are so talented. Even if I wanted to build a website better than them, I couldn't because a lot of them get obsessed over that one skill and they literally spent 
18 hours a day honing that skill. And unless you are willing to really specialize in one, one, one little tiny specific thing, you won't be able to outcompete them. So why not collaborate with them and provide opportunities to them to also make money in a stronger currency? So I see it as a massive win-win. It is a win-win, isn't it? You know, what I find interesting, I, as I said, did backpacking about 20 years ago, and um, there's a certain sort of backpacking scene where the people that are veterans that have been doing it for two, three, five years, they're kind of in a different zone, a different pace of life. And to an extent where they almost become unemployable after a while because they've almost opted out of the rat race for better or worse. Now, when I then went sort of digital nomading for a a period for about six to 12 months, um, I noticed the same set of people, but because, and this was far more recently, but because obviously everyone is digitally enabled now, um, there were a lot more people actually able to generate a, an income, a living, but there were still not many that were actually really building much meaningful or having a very engaging career. It was almost just doing enough to get by. And I, I wonder, you know, have all of us in the rat race that are working the sort of 40, 50 hour weeks, do you think we all just have it wrong and we're doing this because there aren't nice beaches near. And if we had the opportunity, then we would be working 30 hours. Or do you think that there is an opportunity to to sort of nomad as well as building a sort of meaningful career and also, you know, potentially generating a lot of money? So this is a really interesting question. And, and you know, with this one, I could go many different directions. Um, but I feel like the reason most people never really entertain the idea of going out there and and creating a company and being a bit more independent. It doesn't have to be going crazy like myself and traveling full-time. It could be literally having just a bit more freedom. I feel like a lot of us are just not aware that it's even possible. Even even now, in, in, in those days, right, where everyone is talking about outsourcing, everyone's talking about digital nomads, I feel like a lot of people just um, their identity is is holding them back, right? When When you don't believe you can do something, you won't even entertain the ideas how you could make it happen, right? Your self-image will never argue with you. So it's going to become whatever you want it to become. So if your self-image and your identity is that, look, this is me, like all of those people out there, you know, look at Derek. He has a big company. He is in Manila right now. Look at Jimmy. He's traveling the world, but I cannot do it. You know, like no, nobody in my family ever did it. When, when you have that way of thinking, you kind of shoot yourself in the foot right away. And I feel like it is important to, first of all, work on that mindset, work on your identity and realize you can't go above your identity and, and open your eyes to those possibilities. Make a decision that, you know what, if, if I want a bit more freedom in my life, there are ways to do it. And people like me are doing it and have been doing it and will be doing it. So I may as well join them to some capacity. I feel like when that mindset shift happens, that's when you open yourself up and you start noticing those golden opportunities. But it all starts with that. Do, do you do you do you resonate with this, by the way? I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it it really opens my eyes, and it does open your eyes going overseas and trying different routines and seeing different ways of living, and it really makes you question the the status quo and the standard in inverted commas. Um, but you know, it did occur to me, like I'm a very driven person and I felt that a lot of people in the sort of community were happy sort of existing and 
then the cheaper destinations attract these people so that, you know, these aren't criticisms. It was just sort of an observation. But, you know, if you can then live on $1,000 a month, it means that you have to mm-hmm. do even less work um, to get by. And for me, it almost seemed a bit of a sort of self-defeating strategy instead of being the best you can be. But having said that, I also completely agree that kind of working a 60-hour week and never seeing sunlight and, you know, working for the boss is 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 also a pretty crappy life. So, um, it but it's interesting. Is it? It's seeing those different perspectives and then I suppose internally sort of figuring out what is the right balance for you. It, it is. And, and what you're talking about, I've seen this as well in the digital nomad community. I've, I've been in that situation myself, you know, initially first, I would say first couple of years, I was just relying on the income stream I've created for myself. I kept optimizing it, but I didn't, I, I wasn't doing enough to be completely frank with you. I wasn't maximizing my potential. And I noticed people around me and, and the pattern that you've been talking about that, you know, hey, let's do as little as possible to make a thousand bucks. Now inflation, maybe one and a half or two thousand bucks, right? Let's get by, let's chill on the beach and just try to work two hours a day. But then I feel like the reason that happens, first of all, is because people who leave the corporate, there's just so much freedom. They don't don't know how to handle it. It's like, wow, there's all this freedom. Let me breathe in this fresh air. And it's almost like it's a dream that's going to end. So rather than, hey, rather than working too hard, let's just enjoy this because it has to end. And then I feel like people who really succeed in long term, people like yourself, right, who really take it to the next level, they make that decision internally. Okay, do I just want to exist? Do I just want to ride this little wave and enjoy my freedom, assuming that the dream is going to end? Or am I living the dream because I actually created the dream? And if I created the dream, if this wasn't some accident, right, then I can make it better and bigger and brighter, right? So I made that decision for myself. At some point, I realized, hey, why am I not reinvesting the money I'm making? Right? Why am I falling into my all you know old self-deception mechanisms? Why do I listen to my old demons from the past and keep spending whatever I make and just keep living from month to month? I have to create some systems. And once you realize what you are doing and what is possible, that's when the real change happens. That's when you actually start building uh, an infrastructure that allows you to turn this lifestyle into in, into a lifetime. Of opportunities. So I feel like that is really important for those people who are listening to this, getting started, or perhaps you're listening and you are on that journey now where you feel like you're not doing enough. Well, you got to make a decision, right? Like, are you happy with just riding on that wave or do you want to catch more bigger waves? Mm-hmm. And once you make that decision, well, now you open up your mind to so many opportunities, to so many tools. And, and one of them is outsourcing, building a team. And again, as I said at the beginning, you don't have to build a massive team. You can start with one virtual assistant to help you with basic things. But at some point, you, you will realize that... You see, Derek, and I'm, I'm sure people tell you this. They probably tell you, Derek, but this, it, this costs a lot of money. I don't have the money to outsource. But here's the thing. I notice when you outsource in the right way, it makes you money. It actually makes you money. So, for instance, whenever I pay my employees, I kid you not, I'm, you know, you see me now on a video here, right? Hand to my heart, I'm happy to pay people. I'm happy to pay my people. When I'm not happy, when there is a moment, when I feel a bit weird, it probably means that either I have the wrong person or as a leader taking extreme ownership, maybe I haven't communicated them 
well enough what they have to do to to grow the business, right? But mm-hmm. but if you do it well, outsourcing will make you more money. Yeah, and in the corporate setting where there's a movement for employees to want to work remotely, uh, and I think there's obviously a little bit of pushback from the established status quo, you know, and I, I think the boomers and the old managers, they, they can't really conceive how people can can work from home and will they stay motivated? And, you know, and, and honestly, like if, if I had a staff member, a critical staff member kind of fly to Bali, then Chiang Mai and then, you know, Bangkok, mm-hmm. I'm like, you sure you're doing work there? Like there's a lot of fun to be had in those places. There's awesome weather, there's surf, there's, you know, beautiful people and bars and um, there's so much to keep people busy. Uh, and, you know, I, I can just see it. It can be a distraction now. So how do you balance those for sort of the corporate institution where they're really just concerned for getting the work done? Mm-hmm. Um and, and, of course, you know, providing a good sort of meaningful existence and life for their staff. But um, do you see the two as conflicting or do you see them as complementary? Sure. So th- this one is a tricky one, right? I completely understand the concerns of some of the corporates, right? You mentioned Bali. Now I'm very visual. The moment you mentioned Bali, I saw all of those things. And, yes, you are right. It's, it's, it's difficult sometimes to stay disciplined. But I feel like oftentimes we perceive world as either black or white, okay, you either do it or you don't do it. There are many different shades of gray, right? So, so number one, I would say you don't have to go extreme right away. You, it's all about communication. I always believe it's all about honest, open, transparent communication, setting very clear boundaries um, with your employees. So you don't have to go into deep water right away and tell them, hey, you know what? You've been in the office all this time or you've been working remotely from your home. Hey, go on that uh, you know, six-month tour to 27 countries. You don't have to do that. But what you can do is you can motivate people by telling them, listen, you know, uh, these are the challenges of working remotely. We, we have a lot of consultants, you know, who've been doing this and we know that this is a real challenge, but we want to give you freedom. So why don't we do this? Why don't we start small? And if you want to travel, sure. Why don't we establish certain rules that, you know, the first trip will be a longer trip. You will relocate to your dream location and you won't be traveling all the time, but you will be there and you, you will have your base and you'll have a full fridge and you will have all the basic things. And, you know, very well as a fellow traveler, logistics take a ton of time. So you will have all of that sorted out. And then you're going to be working. Now, if you perform better than you used to perform, and obviously you can set certain metrics, um, well, now we know this is working. Now we can go into a bit deeper water. If you tell me you want to go to Japan for a few weeks, we can test it out. But I feel like just like with starting a business, starting any initiative, um, it's never about just getting right into deep water. It's about testing things out. You want to see what's working, what's not working. And then ongoing communication between the, the, the boss and the employees, right? You want to you want to talk to people. You want to ask them about their challenges. You want to make sure that they are happy and, and, and they, they don't feel afraid sharing with you what are their challenges. And then as the leader, you want to empower them, right? One of the things that I always encourage leaders to do is to teach their employees about being productive, teach them about the importance of having systems and cultivating discipline, right? These are important things that, I don't see a lot of people talking about. We kind of assume, oh, I've got a team of 20 and they know exactly what they have to do. But actually, oftentimes they don't or they are not clear and lack of clarity wastes a lot of time. 
So again, before I get on a rant, because Derek, these are the topics we you know we can talk about for hours and hours. I feel like it all starts with that, with um, starting small, rather than getting into deep water, embrace different shades of gray. Start small, uh, learn from the process as you are getting your feet wet. Talk to your employees about the process as it is happening. And by the way, if someone from your team manages to do it successfully, tell them to document it, create procedures out, out of it, create best practices, right? Like I have to say, um, last thing I'm going to say here is when I started traveling, logistics took me a lot of time. It took away a lot of energy. Finding finding the right Wi-Fi, finding the right place where I could focus, find, finding the dry cleaner, like doing all of those things, it took a lot of time. Obviously, now it's easier because there are more opportunities, but also it's easier because I have certain systems, I have certain processes. So when I land in a new place, just like this, within eight hours, I'm, I'm set up, right? I have my Airbnb and I have everything I need. And I even have a group of people there, you know, for my for my connections that that I can meet for dinner and and learn about local tips. But you learn this over the years, and you can save yourself the time, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel by you know by creating certain type of procedures and and empowering your your employees. Hmm. When you build these businesses and they are remote and even potentially asynchronous. And it might then be rare that you actually catch up together. Do you do you believe that you know that what work culture and the social environment of work should still be maintained? Or if you have a healthy environment external to the office, then that should give you your um, you know the nutrients you need in terms of sort of social support and things like that. How do you see as as things inevitably become more remote? then the sort of social environment, the work environment, how does all that end up? This, this is a great question. And I have to say, even as, as a person who, you know, I run my team fully remotely, I still believe the social aspect, the, the face-to-face aspect is important. You know, case in point, we are doing this interview now using audio, but well, I see you, right? We Even though we want to be using the video, we see each other. It's important that we can see each other's body language and you know when you meet people in person there's more more to that not just the body language but but the level of energy and micro expressions and all of that i feel like this is important but at the same time i feel like you you always have to kind of balance it out right on the one hand that is important on the other hand people want freedom so i i i notice when i've been going to do corporate training recently you know for instance i went to this big corporation in the us and they were just bringing people back into the office and people are so happy people you know after COVID, that was one of the first times people reunited and you can see that people are craving human interactions. But but here's uh, the flip side. I, I feel like a lot of leaders make a mistake that they see that and they think, oh, so people want to be in the office. So now they tell them, now, okay, now you're going to be coming to the office you know, four times a week. They don't necessarily want that. They, they want to stay productive at home. They want to do, you know, those little deep tasks that they have to just sit and look at their screens without talking to anybody. They want to do those things without interruptions at home where they can be more efficient and they can finish earlier and then play with their dog or, or, you know, talk to the wife or husband, right? Or play with their kids. And then once in a while, go to the actual office and meet people face to face, but do, do it with a sense of purpose, right? I, I honestly believe that we have to, as humans, manage our energy cycles well. And I feel like it is important to, um, navigate through tasks in a clever way. So if you go to the office to meet people, 
do brainstorming sessions, do presentations, do cross training, do those types of things that you know require face to face interactions, right? But don't necessarily bring people to the office so they can sit down in front of the computers and create Excel spreadsheets, right? That's a I feel like that's recipe for lower productivity. Yeah, and we've all you know seen and, and experienced those situations, but you are trying to embrace deep work and someone stops by your desk every ten minutes. And the setup costs of getting back into your zone are tremendous. So again, I feel like it's balancing this in, in, in a clever way. And this is going to be different for, for every single organization. What is your thought, by the way? What do you think about it, Derek? I honestly don't know. You know, there's a lot said about it. And I don't know what the best way forward is. What I'm aware of is sometimes the the easiest things and the most enjoyable things are not always the best things. And the the harder journey the harder path is sometimes more rewarding and more beneficial over the long term and you know i i fear that if people that enter their career sort of go for the easy option they're sitting at home they stay at home um and not developing their sort of professional capabilities within an environment that um stresses them that pushes them that you know really brings out the best in them then it could have negative consequences in the sort of medium to long term. And it's really hard to navigate that. Um, but I probably sound sort of old and fuddy-duddy now. But, you know, I, I'm also concerned as well. Like, you are living your best life and you are living, you are taking advantage of the world and all it offers. But a lot of people working from home, they're maybe sitting in a pretty, you know, uninspiring bedroom uh, with an uninspiring environment, not getting enough social contact or community, um, and that is not really serving anyone, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it, there's there's definitely a spectrum there. But you know, I, I am concerned that when I was mid twenties, if I was sitting at home and I was highly motivated and and wanted to rule the world and have a ton of money, and but if I was sitting at home, I would probably not be productive, uh, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and uh, I do wonder about other people it is tricky it is tricky because there are different personality types as well right like that those people who really thrive on just being by themselves and doing the deep work but we've got extroverts out there right who get energy from being around other people so i agree it is a it is a tricky uh, topic to talk about one thing i would say though you prompted it um when you said oh maybe I'm, I'm i'm very old school i actually think it is important for everyone to experience real work environment and you know because i almost forgot about it i almost forgot that the reason i can enjoy how i'm living now is because i worked for us because when i was 18 already even before i went to university you know i i talked my way into alliance right and then i worked for goldman then i worked for a startup company so i was in those environments where yes you come into the office very early and then you you want to leave you think okay today's going to be an nice day 10 hours 11 hours not too much right for banking and then the big vp tells you hey listen we have a a bit of a crisis we have to jump on this call uh let's order some food okay you know what that means right but then the sense of um camaraderie that comes from it right you are eating some sushi at 10 p.m in the office right with your md and there's vp and there are a bunch of other people and you're doing a call with the global head of some department because there is a crisis going on 
you give high fives at the end because you solve the problem. There is something that comes from it that you just cannot replicate in the virtual space. And that's why I would say if you're running a virtual team, and I should probably take my own advice. I, I wanted to, but then COVID happened, to be completely frank. But um, I'm kind of preaching to myself right now. If you are running a fully virtual team, I feel like it is paramount to take 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 the time and put the effort to organize at least some type of in-person gathering. And it doesn't have to do anything with, with work, right? Could be literally a, a you know little retreat where you connect with one another and maybe practice soft business skills and you know get to know each other. But I feel like it is important to have that camaraderie because, and we all know very well when you meet someone in person and then you exchange emails, you're gonna respond much quicker. Now it becomes a person, not just that name, right? And that's why one trick, and this is just last thing I'm going to say, just a little hack for anyone. If you want to get your emails answered faster, make the effort sometimes to literally send a a quick video, like short, I'm talking a 10-second, 15-second video or audio. Video is better. Um of just expressing gratitude to the person you're working with. And when you do that, or if you even better, if you jump in a little call with them, if you just say, hey, listen, John, we've been working together for all those months. We never really talked. Why don't we jump on a five-minute call just to say hi? Let's just do a yeah. quick video call. You see that person for five minutes or you send, them, send, send that person that video. I guarantee you next time you have some type of emergency, that person will help you much faster. But also even more importantly you will develop much stronger relationship that's a little extract here i had to add because it just no it's important isn't it those touch points are really important and they're far more important when it is a digital relationship because often it can be um impersonalized to the point where you just think that the person doing the work is a is a computer screen and you completely remove the humanity so it's it's important to 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 keep it real. And um, how do you see all of this trajectory going? Now, you're a very worldly guy. Uh, I also sort of have a lot of sort of, I suppose, concept of just the world being one very small, easily accessible place. Um, Do you see sort of an inevitable globalization over the next 20 years becoming one global economy? How do you see it playing out? There's a lot of other people that think the world is splintering and the US will never trade with anyone before and they're going to start making their own iPhones and borders are going to be closing. But what, what's your sort of view on how all of this is is ending up? How many hours do we have? Yeah, 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 yeah. it's a big question. It's no, a big it's question. A, it, it's, it is a big question, right? So, so let me tell you, like, you know, first of all, on the micro scale, just talking about outsourcing, then I'm going to talk about the micro scale, how I see it. Um, in terms of, you know, running virtual teams, virtual versus in person, I feel like what's going to happen. And, and I actually, I hope for this. I feel like what, what, what has been happening is, you know, Initially, we were predominantly just working in teams in person, right? In big offices. Then COVID happened. People realized, oh, oh, the world didn't end. Like we can actually work together and make things happen and make money and be efficient working virtually. Okay, this is interesting. So now people don't want to go back to the offices, right? So when you go to New York, uh, yeah, plenty of offices just just empty, right? No one wants to be there. And I feel like so now we went to another extreme. And and but what I started seeing, training those companies, getting in there and talking to people about it, I realized, well, what is happening now is people realize, okay, we want we went from one extreme to the other extreme. Maybe extremes are not that good. Maybe we need to find some type of a balance. 
And I feel like people are trying to do that now, right? A flexible uh, work environment. Hey, we invite you. Please come to the office at least, you know, one once a week, but ideally two or three times a week, even if it's just popping in those types of environments. Um, so if you're an extrovert, you want to talk to people, great. You can come and you're going to meet other extroverts who need that energy. If you're an introvert, sure, stay at home and, and do the spreadsheets and do all of that, but pop in at least once a week so we don't completely lose that sense of social interaction, right? So I, I feel like we are moving more towards that in terms of remote work and i i have to say i like that i like that and i hope it's gonna happen like this because i believe i don't believe in extremes in terms of the global situation what can i say i'm from poland right so the situation that's happening you know to to our neighbors in general it's 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 pretty we are in a predicament right now what i like to believe i'm i can be very realistic but i try to be optimistic in my realism I like to believe that just like during the Cold War, we will get so close to the brink of collapse that we will all realize what the hell are we doing? And we're going to splash cold water on our faces and realize, okay, no one can win. Let's let's move a few steps back. This is this is what I hope is going to happen. What's going to actually happen, I don't know. But I, but I have to say, Derek, I, I try to live my life to the fullest. I plan for the future. Um but I don't take future for granted. This is, you know, this is not really about business now. This is, you know, what I'm what I'm going to say is more of a philosophical statement. But I feel like situations that are happening now with the economy, you know, not just the war in Ukraine, but all the other wars. I, f- I feel like, you know, now people are started talking about all the other conflicts happening around the world. You realize that, yes, we are on shaky foundations and you can't take tomorrow for granted. And I feel like a lot of us, especially in the Western world, we take tomorrow for granted. We focus so much on political correctness and, you know, hey, you called me this or you called me that, but we don't. And, and wars on Twitter and 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 pointless exchanges and, and hateful comments. And I feel like what we got to do is we got to take a step back and take a deep breath and recalibrate and realize, hold on a second, we are on this planet that's literally going through the universe and we don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea and 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 tomorrow is not granted. You don't know if it's going to happen. So you may as well enjoy the moment. You may, you may as well enjoy the ride. I feel like a lot of people forget that we don't have just one currency in this life, right? A lot of people think, well, we have yen, we have euro, we have pound, we have dollar, right? But there are other currencies in life. Money is one. Another one is health. Another one is mobility, relationships, right? Um, A sense of, you know, being able to express yourself. There there are various currencies. And I feel like as humans, we tend to gravitate towards one. Usually it's money. For other people, there are different things, right? Some people, you know, gravitate towards health or relationships. But I feel like real happiness, real fulfillment in life comes from tackling well trying to get all of those currencies at the same time trying to rebalance them and make sure that you don't necessarily have too much of one but you also don't have too little of of any of them and when you have the right balance of all of those currencies that's when you live the good life so that that that's what i truly believe in and and times like like what was happening nowadays all the crisis and 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 you know economy going down i think this is just a reminder that yeah we just have to be grateful yeah, absolutely. It's it's complicated times, isn't it? And and horrible for for the region, you know, around uh, Ukraine and Russia, of course. Jimmy, I'm I'm on Udemy now, and you have so many courses, don't you? My gosh, you're prolific <laughs> in do. terms of uh, courses. That's incredible. How many courses have you built on Udemy? 
That's a good question. I, I, uh, I'm actually not sure. I think it's close to 40. And when I say this, by the way, so, so here's an interesting thing, right? So I know what's happening in the minds of the, of the listeners. Some of you are thinking, okay, that's a lot of courses. Wow, that's impressive. But some of you have this silent objection of, huh, how can he know so much about 40 different things, right? But here's the thing with Udemy, the way I do it is I create content on things I know. And then instead of creating a 150-hour course, let's say, on leadership, um, that entails all the leadership skills, I'm, I'm going to divide those things. So, you know, then specific people who need specific uh, you need to tackle specific challenges, they can find specific solutions for those challenges. So I do have 30 something, 40 courses, but, um, you know, each one of them, if I actually put them together into like main categories, it would be building confidence, presentation skills, productivity, and leadership. D- these would be the, the main categories. It's almost like four big courses divided into a lot of sub courses. Yeah, yeah. Really, really impressive. Fantastic, Jimmy. Great insight, and I really, you know, speaking to you, I really wish I was back on the road again and uh, not stuck in my office. But well done. And if anyone wants to reach out, if anyone wants to learn more about you or check out your courses, how can they get in touch? Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for listening. If you so, if you've been tuning in till now, I think we, you know, we both really appreciate your time. Lots of different things you could be doing instead of listening to this. We live in a world where, you know, the paradox of choice is real. So first of all, thank you for that. If you want to find me, you can just type in Jimmy Narain in Google, right? So so JimmyNarain.com, that's my website. Jimmy Narain on Instagram. Basically, I use my name everywhere to make it simple. So if you just type in Jimmy Narain, whether it's Udemy, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, you can find my content. What I would say is, um, I'm most active on LinkedIn and Instagram, precisely because you know Instagram allows you to go live. So sometimes I like to go live with people. So if you're interested in that, you want to see some of my travel adventures as well, backstage uh, shots, you know, from different conferences. Um, you can go to Instagram and you can find my courses on Udemy as well. That was Jimmy Narain. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.